again. Walking out of the minister's room this morning to come out here, I told uh, your two ministers that it seems like old times. It's only been a couple of weeks, I guess, but uh, glad to be back once again to bring the Lord's Word back uh, to the land of Ulster to open up the Scriptures. Joshua chapter 14 in God's Word this morning. Joshua chapter 14. We're going to break in at verse 6. This begins the account of the dividing up of the land that they have conquered. Joshua chapter 14. We'll commence reading the Lord's Word and verse 6, read through to verse 15. Let's all hear the Lord's word. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto them, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me, and them in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses sware on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims. And the land had rest from war. May God add his own blessing to that reading from his word to our hearts for his name's sake. Would you all bow your head with me for a moment, please? Let's ask the Lord for... His grace has helped today. Let's all pray. Blessed Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we ask for that divine help, both to hear aright the seed that will be sown 
in thy word. And for the preacher to be able to preach the truth in the demonstration of the power of thy spirit. We are all frail creatures of the dust. We acknowledge our God that it certainly is possible for us to go through the exercise of religion and not hear from thee and not meet with thee. Save us from ourselves, we pray. Save us from unbelief. Save us, we pray, from lethargy, apathy. Grant there will be a little reviving this day again through the Spirit of God's work through His Word. Strengthen our faith, we pray, in who Thou art and what Thou hast promised Thy people. O oh God, bring about great change in all of us this day, a change more into the image of Christ Thy Son, who is our Good Shepherd. May we hear His voice afresh this morning, saying, Follow me. In His name we pray. Amen and amen. It's the words of an old Scottish divine that actually introduce the thing that I want to deal with from this passage this morning. In a brief synopsis of Caleb's life, he wrote, Caleb is one of those men whom we seldom meet with in Bible history, but whenever we do meet them, we are the better for the meeting. It is my prayer that as a result of meeting afresh Caleb, we all will be better for this meeting. To fully appreciate what is before us here in Joshua chapter 14, we will need to go back 45 years to a, a different scene altogether, back to Numbers 13. You know the scene well if you know really much of anything of Old Testament history. The place is Kadesh Barnea, sometimes just called Kadesh. After a marvelous deliverance of bondage to Egypt, after meeting with God and being given His law on Mount Sinai, Israel is poised to enter and subdue this promised land of Canaan. God had commanded Moses to send out 12 spies into the land on what we would call a reconnaissance mission to learn all they could about that land and all about the people that live there. Moses also instructed them to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And the Spirit of God makes the point to say, now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. It was the time of first ripe grapes. After that 40-day mission, the 12 spies returned home, and the first thing that must have gotten the attention of the people would have been the size of that cluster of grapes that they brought with them. It took two men to carry it. You think things are big in America? can't imagine the size of those grapes. Their hopes and happiness, when they saw that, must have been running very high. Things, however, took a bad turn when it came time for the spies to give their reconnaissance report. 
while they confessed that the land of Canaan was definitely a land that was flowing with milk and honey, they also said, quote, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. These were the giants. They went on to say that we're not able to go up against these people. They are stronger than we are. And there are giants there, and we're like, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And the commentary of the Holy Spirit on that report said this, And they brought an evil report. The happiness and hopes of the people immediately disappears. They went from the mountaintop, plunged right down to the valley of gloom. Now there is fear and there's confusion and shouting as the people, so in keeping with their character, begin to murmur, begin to complain against Moses. But one, one man steps forward amidst all the shouting, the groaning, I imagine the crying, because their hopes were high. He stills the multitude, and with all of his might, he cries out, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. That man was not Moses. That man was not Aaron. That man was not Joshua. That man was Caleb. His name is a compound of two Hebrew words. Ka means all, lab means heart. His parents named him All Heart. We know the rest of the story, how that because of their Unbelief, Israel was confined to spend the next 38 years in the wilderness as nomads until the entire generation of those 20 and above died off because, because they refused to go into the land and conquer it. All except for two men, Joshua and Caleb. In the chapter before us this morning, these two men are, like so many years earlier, standing together again, not to convince the people that they should go into the land and conquer it, they had done that finally, but now it was a matter of settling a claim that Caleb is making upon a piece of ground in Canaan. A piece of ground that 45 years earlier, those 10 spies claimed would never be obtained. He's now in the land, and that piece of land is before him. He wants Hebron to be given him as his inheritance. He wants Hebron because that is the place where Moses promised to give him a way back at Kadesh Barnea. Moses told Caleb that day, quote, 
Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and my children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. It's going to be yours. From the fact that Caleb is asking for Hebron indicates that this was the particular part of Canaan to which Moses was referring The land is about to be divided up by inheritance, and before that whole process starts, Caleb comes to Joshua, his old companion, and says, Joshua, give me this mountain. You remember well what Moses promised, what the Lord promised me 45 years ago. Ponder a moment or two what he was asking Joshua to give him. It was the region where the Anakim dwelt, and they were giants. Hebron was hill country, which made driving out the Anakims even more difficult. But that did not make a tuppence of difference to Caleb. He knew what he wanted. And he knew what he had to do to get it. It is the reason upon which Caleb grounds this request to Joshua that takes our attention this morning. Three times in this petition, Joshua, to two Joshua, verse 8, verse 9, verse 14, Caleb describes himself in the context of asking for this mountain. He describes himself as the one who has wholly followed the Lord. I want this mountain because God said long ago, you're the man who will wholly follow the Lord. It's now 45 years later, and I want you to give this, this is my inheritance because I have wholly followed the Lord. That's what I want to deal with for a little bit this morning. The man, or the woman, if you will, who wholly follows the Lord. Starting a new year. Would you not want to be able to say, like Caleb could say, at the end of this year, I wholly followed the Lord. He wasn't saying it in pride. He was just speaking the truth. I wholly followed the Lord. If ever there was a time when the church of the living God needs Christians who wholly follow the Lord, it is just now. Will you be one of those believers? Let's look at a few things about the man who wholly follows the Lord. First, please look with me at the characteristics of such a man. The first thing I notice about Caleb, and you can't help but see it, the courage that he had. Wholly following the Lord gives courage. It deals with the fears that naturally arise. That's why he really was not going to turn away from Hebron and from that mountain because the Anakims, the giants, dwelt there. He had courage. You will see from verse 7 that Caleb was a man who had the courage 
of his convictions. That's the phrase I think we know about, the courage of our convictions. Verse 7, 40 years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. He saw the same things that the other ten spies saw. He saw the great walled cities. He saw the giants. He saw what seemed like to the others something that was impossible. But he said, did he not? Let us arise. We can do this. We can conquer these people. That's courage. He had that conviction of the Lord's might and power and word in his heart. This was the promised land. And it dealt with all the fear. He had a conviction and he had the courage of his convictions. I should point out that he must have been that day when they first came back and hearing all the hullabaloo and all the murmuring about from the other ten spies and among the people, he must have been under tremendous pressure to go along with them. I mean, he's in the minority. He and Joshua are in the minority. What are they going to think of us? They're going to think we're really weird. I mean, the majority says, no, we can't do this. And these two guys are saying, yeah, we can do this. We can conquer them. For six weeks, he had been traveling with these other ten men who gave the different report. They had eaten together, no doubt. They had prayed together. They had fellowshiped together. And they had labored in their task together. And to break from your companions, to upset their plans, to give advice that is contrary to the majority, to take a course that was diametrically opposed to theirs, that's a hard thing to do. It takes great courage, I can tell you. But when you wholly follow the Lord, that's what you have to do. You have no interest in being a moral coward. If you are convinced and convicted in your heart about something, then you will exercise the courage of your convictions if you are wholly following the Lord. It won't matter what anyone else says. You're not out to please men. You're out to please the Lord because he's the one you're following. You, you see, this Caleb-like spirit has always been found in those in whom the Lord has used to any great degree. It always marks them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not cave in and go the way of the rest of them and bow to that golden image set up by Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever happens to us, we're not bowing. If we die in the fire, we die in the fire, but we're not going to bow to that image. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. That's having the courage of your convictions. It's not just having the convictions. Oh, I believe this, I believe that, I stand for this, I stand for that. The question is, are you going to stand for it when it really costs you something? That's the courage of your convictions. 
when Peter himself was inconsistent with the courage of his convictions, he got a sharp rebuke from the Apostle Paul. When the Jews came into town, he quit associating with the believing Gentiles because he was afraid of what the Jews would say about him. Paul says, I rebuked him to his face. Martin Luther would stand up against Rome and the whole world because it was in his heart that salvation was by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Because he had the courage of his convictions, which believed the gospel should be freely preached, he defied kings and queens and priests alike. He uttered what was in his heart. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of faults we can point out with Martin Luther. But one thing you cannot say about him is that he didn't have courage. He had the courage of his convictions. It seems that this is a, a very rare virtue in our generation, a generation that wants to go along with the crowd, that doesn't want to stand out, that doesn't want to be different. The thing is, we want to blend in, and that's what so many young people have the problem with. They want to be accepted by their peers. They want to be like them. So they dress like them, they talk like them, they act like them. Because if you act differently, you're an oddball and they're going to cut you off. And I simply say to you, so what? I would far rather be cut off by my peers than cut off by God. If I have the courage, if, if I am a believer... And I have this conviction that I am following the Lord and I'm going to be different from the world, then it doesn't matter what anyone else says. I'll have the courage. And you see what it indicates, does it not, is that there's a lack of the courage of one's convictions when there is such a readiness to toss those convictions. They're just not expedient. To come to more ordinary matters, when, what do we do when our opinions, our convictions, our beliefs, our views on religious subjects are not popular? When they are ridiculed, even by those of our own family, what do you do? Do we have the courage and speak what is in our hearts, or do we try to hide them or modify them or trim them down so that we will be accepted and able to get on with the world? Caleb's courage is also seen in that he asked Joshua to give him Hebron, the hill country of the Anakims. You'd have to say that, Caleb, you sure, you sure are very brave. By our standards, even theirs, he was an old man. But he said, I have the same strength now, back 45 years ago, as I did then. You don't ask for a land that was easy to take 
but one in which you will have an uphill battle, one where you will have to fight with these giants bigger and stronger than you, and you're not a spring chicken anymore. Hmm. It's like the soldier that has often been found in the annals of history where he volunteers for the most difficult and dangerous of posts. It was Sir Walter Scott who wrote of, I quote him, that stern joy which warriors feel in foemen worthy of their steel. They wanted to go into battle against foemen who were worthy of their steel. That's Caleb. Modern day jargon, if you'll allow me that, might not sound very spiritual, but it communicates the point. Caleb was saying to Joshua as the, about, regarding these giants, bring them on. Bring them on. We will conquer this mountain. That kind of courage was seen in an English missionary named Alan Gardner, who with six companions took the gospel to Tierra del Fuego, the southernmost point of South America. Why did he go there? He went there because the gospel had never been taken to that point in South America. The natives, who were cannibals, were very vicious. The weather, the climate, was extremely repulsive, particularly to someone from England. And the work, so difficult that no one else ever wanted to do it. He arrived in December of 1850, and his one mission was to bring the gospel to the Yagan Indians of Tierra del Fuego. They were attacked once they arrived and chased continually by the Yagans until finally they found refuge in a cave on one of the islands. The water from the sea flooded the cave and swept away everything, including their Bibles. A very cold winter set in, and then sickness and starvation began to take its toll. By September of the following year, 1851, they were all dead, either from sickness or starvation. Gardner was the last one to die. The, these are some passages found in his diary, perhaps you call it journal here. Lord, at your feet I humbly fall, and I give you all I have, all that your love requires. To lack is best, for all is yours. Take care of me in this hour of test. 
Do not let me have the thoughts of a complainer. Make me feel your power, which gives life, and I will learn to praise you while carrying your cross. On the 29th of August, 1851, at the age of 57, when the writer was coming toward the end of his life, he wrote his goodbye to his wife and to his children, which included these words. If a wish was given to me for the good of my neighbor, it would be that the mission of Tierra del Fuego be pursued with vigor. I stand back and I admire that heart. He was a Caleb. A second band of missionaries went there and they were all slaughtered by the natives. A third group went who were moved by, simply by the consideration that the case seemed so hopeless. That's what moved them because it seemed so hopeless. That's courage of your convictions. What about Livingston, who refused to go to all the established mission places and stations and the comparative ease and comfort that it would give him, but wanted to go where no missionary had gone before? What of so many a young missionary who has turned away from the life of comfort at home and has gone where the need is the greatest and the spiritual battle is the hottest? These men and women wholly followed the Lord, and, and like Caleb, they were not afraid of the Anakims. Rather, it was the Anakims that attracted them to feel worthy of their steel. When you wholly follow the Lord, yes, if you wholly follow the Lord each day, one day at a time, you'll find you'll have all the courage you need to face whatever you need, whatever comes across your path, whether at home, whether at work, whether in the work of God, it makes no difference. You see, the key is wholly following the Lord. I want you to also consider the course of Caleb, those who wholly, wholly follow the Lord. That was his course, and that was the path that he chose. It was a course where he was a follower. He was a follower of the Lord. That meant he was walking with the Lord, and he was in communion with the Lord. He was beside the Lord. Yes, following, but with him the whole time. Holy followed the Lord. All heart, he was holy, completely. That means that all throughout these 40 years, 40 years of wilderness wanderings, through all the obstacles, all the hard times, all the wanderings, he had his eyes upon the Lord. He had his eye upon that land that God had promised. It was an eye of faith. You and I are not going to be able to follow the Lord wholly. If that's what really interests us without having a, that course of following him. His great interest in life is it yours. What is the Lord's will? 
I just want to know what his will is. What would he have me to do? Where am I to go? Where is he leading me? What's the next step? He got daily direction for his life. Not by going his own way, not by charting a course for himself, but since he was following the Lord, he had God's way. Following, you know, folks, there's nothing safer than doing that than following the Lord, following the Lord, following. You know what scares me? We become so familiar with these terms. It becomes kind of a jargon that we use. But when it comes right down to it, staying that course, I'm following the Lord. Though none will join me, yet I will follow. My eyes are upon him. And where he leads me, I will follow. It doesn't matter where he leads me. It doesn't matter the difficulties. This court has been plotted, and that's the course I'm going to stay on. There was no division in his heart. He wasn't pulled between two different things. There was no disputing with God's ways. There was no, no discontentment with the course that he was on. You didn't find Caleb murmuring like the rest of the Jews. He was content with just to follow the Lord wherever that led. There, there was no kind of dealing, no kind of finagling going on. I look in the third place at the constancy of this man, the constancy of those who follow the Lord. Constancy, just steady, steady. He wasn't up and down, blowing hot and cold. He was steady. For 40 long years, Caleb wholly followed God. There was a steadiness, a perseverance in this man called all heart. He was a patient man. Uh, that is a, a great grace, you know, to be patient. He was patient with his circumstances. He was constant in following the Lord in spite of all the disappointing circumstances. And boy, did he get disappointed how disappointing Kadesh Barnea would have been to this man. There they were, right on the brink of going into the land of blessing. It was just, just within reach, but the devil came knocking at the door, and you know what happened? The people let him in. How many times has the child of God found that? Just, it's just around the corner. It's just over the next hill, just that next little thing you've got to get through, and there's the blessing. But the devil comes knocking, and the old sin of unbelief lets him in. But Caleb was following the Lord and not the people, and that's why he didn't give up, and that's why he didn't quit. I'm following the Lord. I'm not following these people. And it was because he patiently waited upon the Lord and he patiently waited upon the Lord's timing and pursued the Lord's path that he eventually got what he had been praying for and longing for and walking forth through a desert for 40 years. You know, I, it's, it's easy to talk about that, folks, but 
a desert, the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, you folks begin to melt if it gets to 25 degrees centigrade. That's nothing. They're living in that for 40 years, walking through sand wilderness for 40 years. The nights get very cold. Didn't complain. I'm smiling to myself because I'm sweating like a fish out of water up here, and I'm saying, where's that fan that I had during the conference? I, I, I can't even deal with this little bit, the little humidity and heat in the room. He didn't complain. Because he wholly followed the Lord, he was constant and patient in spite of the delays Look at verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's 85 years old. That's a long time to wait, you know, by our standards. We can become impatient if it doesn't happen this week or a month or a year. It's a long time to wait, brothers and sisters. How do you do that? I'm following the Lord. And when I follow the Lord, the time will be when the Lord says it's going to be. When I need to arrive at this mountain, I'll be there. He believed that every day of his life and kept trucking through that wilderness through all the heat and all the cold and all the murmuring of the people because he wholly followed the Lord. Caleb had to wait until that entire generation had died off. You see, patience is one of those blessed graces that come along when we totally follow him. As I said, he was patient with people. You know, those folks in the wilderness, they were a bunch of complaining, self-centered, egomaniacal doubters. Can you imagine what it was like if you're Caleb, who's wholly following the Lord, traveling with that lot for 40 years? It did not discourage him from following the Lord. It won't matter your company, you know, how, how deep in doubt they are if your eyes are upon the Lord. You're also going to see the contrast in him, the contrast of those who follow the Lord wholly. In Numbers 14, 24, after God had sworn to this generation that they would not enter into that land of Canaan, he said this to Caleb, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. There's the contrast. He had another spirit. He had a different spirit than the rest. Because of that, the Lord said, I'm going to bring him in. The very land you said is not, it's, it's not possessable, it's not obtainable, I'm going to give it to him. 
when you think about them, they tempted God. They tempted his power, his ability, whether or not he could bring them through these straits and deal with the giants in the great walled cities. And funny enough, you know, they come into, when they finally get to the land, there is this Jericho, this great walled city, falls down flat. It was like God was saying, I told you, I'll take care of this. They tempted his goodness. Because when you begin to doubt whether or not God's going to come and help you in all of those difficulties of life that you're going to face that seem to be in the way of you obtaining that land of blessing or whatever that might be that you want from the Lord, have prayed from the Lord, or has promised you. My, tempting God, do you really care? Do you really see what I need so much from you? They tempted his faithfulness, whether or not that promise was going to come true. They tempted his justice, whether or not he would punish them for their murmuring and their rebellion. They refused to believe God. And the amazing thing is they did that after seeing the miracles of the ten plagues in Egypt. You ever wondered how could they do that? Those kind of miracles, you would certainly say, this God can do anything. Let's go take those giants. But you and I have done the same thing. God has done wonderful things for us. He's answered prayer. He's done exceeding abundantly above all that we've asked or thought. And then we find ourselves in a situation where it's difficult, and we wonder, is the Lord going to help me now? It makes all the difference in the world when you wholly follow the Lord. Caleb was so different. He didn't doubt God's power. He did not doubt God's love. He did not doubt God's goodness. He did not doubt God's faithfulness. He was on a different course, had a whole different motivation. He had a different hope than they had. What an honor God placed upon that man, and it's an honor that he still places on anyone who will wholly follow him. What about the compulsion? What kept driving him? There was the promise of the mountain. He never lost sight of it. I imagine that Caleb prayed for that every day. Lord, bring me to that mountain you promised me. One year passed, two years passed, three, ten, twenty, thirty, forty. And he kept believing. That leads me to my second point, and I am not going to be as long on this one as I was the first one. The cause for Caleb's holy following the Lord. Two things. As you think about the incoming year, about where you'll be in your own walk with the Lord at the end of the year. If you want something more than just, you know, going through each day, doing your thing, going to work, going home, going to work, going home, come to church on Sunday, go home, and really not know much of spiritual progress, 
than this tune-out. But if you want to end the year at the end of 2023, my, how things are different now than when they began in my life or in my home, my church, two things are critical. Number one is faith. Faith. It was God's word. It was God's word that he staked everything upon. God said to Moses, give that mountain to Caleb. It's going to be his. He's going to be standing on it one day. That means the place of victory. He'll be standing here. And he kept believing and kept believing. and kept. He had his faith in the objective revelation of Almighty God who cannot lie. He believed that with all of his heart. How else could you go through what you, he went through if you did not believe the Word of God? How else can we get through this year? And there are going to be difficulties. There's going to be deaths. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be discouragements. All of that's going to happen. Bank on it. It will happen. But how will you go through if there's not faith in the Word of God? How will you keep following on to follow the Lord wholly if there is not a heart belief in what He has given and said to you through His Word? How critical it is. Don't you lay that Bible aside. Turn off the television. Just turn it off. My advice would be to get rid of it, but if you can't get rid of it, turn it off. Pick up your Bible, shut down the internet, shut down Facebook, shut down social media, and just get into God's Word and say, Lord, speak to me, speak to me. Give me that Word, give me those promises upon which I can just stake my faith and go through this year and make progress so I'm not feeling I'm just going backwards and backwards and backwards and not going on with God. You see, if you're going to wholly follow the Lord, you're going to go on with God, you're going to change. You'll be more like Jesus Christ because that is what Christ-likeness is all about, just following in his steps. That's imitating Christ. You're following in his steps. And the just live, they really live by faith. Hate as an enemy, an inveterate enemy that would weaken your faith, anything that leaves you feeling cold and unbelieving. What comes to mind? Tell me, what comes to mind? Then it's an enemy. And you get rid of it. You war against it. It's, it, it's, this, it's this faith in God, His ability to give you that promise, whether it's a mountain, no matter what it is, whatever the promise is, his ability to do it. It doesn't matter how impossible it seems. It doesn't matter how big the mountains are. <laughs> Paul on the ship comes to mind. The, all, all the sailors think this, the ship is going down. It's over. We're going to drown at sea. And he stands up in the midst of the storm. They hadn't seen the sun for days on end. Uh, and you can imagine the ship is just rocking like this. Paul's holding on to, the, to, the, to, to something on the ship and says, Sirs, I believe God. We're not going to die. He believed because God came to him through the angel and gave him a word, and he believed that. 
our spirits sink. We go into the valley of gloom. You want to know why? Because we simply don't believe what God has told us in his word. Every time. If you believe he's the almighty, there's nothing too hard for him. If you believe that you're on his side and he's on your side, you're going together, you're walking together. If you believe that his promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus, it's not just mere head knowledge, it's something you really believe, then what have we to fear? Who have we to fear? No one. That only makes sense. That's divine logic. He had faith in God's willingness to give him that mountain. You know, brothers and sisters, one of the things that I have had to battle throughout all my ministry is doubting whether God is willing to do something that I want, that I feel I need. And it's so often because I see all the faults and failings in my life and why would God be willing to do that for me? Faith believes in the willingness of God to fulfill his promises to his people. Which, of course, leads me to the second and final thing regarding the cause why he wholly followed the Lord. Yes, it was faith in the revealed word of God to him, but there was something else, and it was was grace. Grace, grace, grace. There was no need to be discouraged in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the people, in spite of the delay, in spite of his own deficiencies. Because God was not going to give him that mountain based upon merit. Yes, he wholly followed the Lord. But you want to know why he wholly followed the Lord? Because God gave him the grace to wholly follow the Lord. It wasn't mere self-determination. It wasn't mere grit that Caleb wholly followed him. He did what he did by grace. God's free favor that comes to us in spite of our faults and our failings and our falls. Grace, grace, grace. I say that as I come toward the end of the message to those Maybe you thought as we've been dealing with the subject of wholly following the Lord, well, I'm just not able to do that. I've got too many things wrong with me, too much wrong in my life. I just can't do it. And I am here to tell you that's a lie. You have bought the devil's lie hook, line, and sinker. You're believing someone who does nothing but lie, you can wholly follow the Lord. Every brother, every sister can wholly follow the Lord because God's grace. My mind just now goes back to the very first message of the conference. My grace is sufficient for thee. 
Remember the fill in the blank? Remember? Following the Lord wholly, my grace is sufficient for you to do that. It will make all the difference in the world if every one of the Lord's people in Ballymena Free Church wholly followed the Lord this year. Now, Pastor Wagner, aren't you saying that not everybody here is wholly following the Lord? Yes, I am. Without even knowing you. So that must mean the Lord is speaking to you. You haven't been wholly following the Lord. You've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You're straddling the fence. You're trying to keep the outward comportment of being a Christian, not lose your testimony, but oh my, the things you involve yourself in, the places you go, the language you use, it's anything but wholly following the Lord. Oh, I can tell you there's no better place to be than just following the Lord completely with all of your heart. You'll not reach sinless perfection this side of heaven. There never is going to pass a day in your life where you won't sin word and thought and deed. No doubt in my mind that Jacob, like everybody else throughout human history, he was a strong believer in God, but every day he sinned in thought and word and deed during those 40 years. But he still, in spite of that, wholly followed the Lord. And so can you, and so can I. So wouldn't it be proper, wouldn't it be right here this morning as we close the meeting Lord, this year, make it a different year in my home, in my heart. I'm done with half-hearted Christianity. I'm done with blowing hot and cold. I want to wholly follow you, whatever the costs, because there is no better place to be than following Christ. May God write the word on our hearts for his sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our God and our Father in heaven, as we come to the end of a Sabbath morning service, we confess there's so much that we don't understand that we can't take on board what it means and all the ramifications of wholly following the Lord. But thou dost know what it means. And thou dost understand what thou art calling us to do. And in Jesus' name we pray that thou wilt give to all thy people here that earnest heart's desire to be a Caleb, all heart in following thee. And as we close, we think about those here this morning who have never taken one step in following thee because they're still following the devil. They're following the lusts of their heart. 
O God, we pray that thou wilt arrest them in their walk, make them understand that that path in following the devil will follow him straight to hell. Stop them, we pray. Bring grace to them. Bring them from the darkness to light. Remove the blindness of the eyes and the hardness of the heart. Put thy fear into them, we pray, and save them. May we find ourselves one day at a time following the Master. It's in Jesus' name we ask all of this and only for his glory. Amen and amen.